morning again. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. And we'll get one right to your seat wherever you may add. If you would, turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 6. want to thank Doug again, this service, for teaching for me last week. I had the opportunity to go out to Southern California for a pastor's conference, which was absolutely refreshing and enjoyable. And it was near the, the coast, the beach, and it was like 90 degrees. And it was, it was tough suffering there, but, you know, <laughs> someone had to do it and... and uh, but it was a, a blessing to be out there and, and a blessing to be back. And I'm just excited, you know, just to hearing the encouragement from the other pastors, what's going on, and just to be encouraged myself. So, um, again, thanks, Doug, for, for learning for us. Uh, we're going to continue this series that I started before I left called Standing in a Fallen World. And we're going to look at Daniel chapter 6 this morning with the title of my message, Facing Hungry Lions. So with that, join me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather together this morning to be able to open up your word freely at this point and to be able to listen, Holy Spirit, to what you have to say to each one of us this morning. We thank you, Lord, for this time together. We thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing not only in our church corporately but in our life individually. We pray, Lord, that if there's anyone joining us this morning that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they're not born again today, Lord, would you especially speak to their heart through your word and they would come to know you as Lord and as Savior. Bless our time together, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I read a story about a man walking through the zoo when he saw this little girl leaning into the lion's cage. Well, suddenly the lion grabbed her by the cuff of her jacket and tried to pull her inside and devour her right in front of her screaming parents. Well, the man ran to the cage and hit the lion square on the nose with a powerful punch. Whimpering from pain, the lion jumped back and let go of the girl while the man returned the young child to her terrified parents. Reporters saw the whole ordeal and said to the rescuer, Sir, that was the most gallant and brave thing I've ever seen a man do in my whole entire life. Well, it was nothing, said the man. Really, the lion was behind bars and I just acted as I felt was right. Well, I noticed a Bible in your pocket. Are you a Republican, asked the journalist. <laughs> yes, I'm a Christian on my way to Bible study, the man replied. Well, I'll make sure that this won't go unnoticed. I'm a journalist, and tomorrow's paper, we're going to have this on the front page for all to see. Well, the following morning, the man bought the paper to see if indeed it brought news of his actions that were there on the first page. And so he opened it up, and sure enough, there on the front page of the paper, it read this. Right-wing Republican Christian fundamentalists assault African immigrant and steals his lunch. <laughs> that pretty much sounds like our world today, doesn't it? Well, we've come to this well-known story of Daniel in the lion's den that most of us from the time we were very young have heard or have read. Yet what we often forget is that Daniel was in the lion's den. He was under a death sentence for doing what was right. Now, I've taught this passage many times before, but I have to say there has never been a time where this is more applicable for us living in the United States than it is right now today. 
people are rewarded for sinning and punished for doing what is right. And I'm convinced it's going to stay that way until Jesus returns, which I believe is very, very soon. But until that day, God has called us to stand in this fallen world. And Daniel chapter 6 is a great example of how to do just that. So if you're taking notes, I have just three points for us this morning that we will see. We will see, number one, an excellent spirit. Number two, an excellent trap, so they thought. And number three, an excellent deliverance. There it is. An excellent spirit, an excellent trap, so they thought, and an excellent deliverance. Number one, an excellent spirit. Look at verses one through four. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these, three governors of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Now, as chapter 5 drew to a close, the Babylonian Empire fell to the armies of Cyrus, the king of Persia. Cyrus then gave control of the Babylonian territory to Darius the Mede. The Medo-Persian Empire was the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy uh, in chapter 2 of the, the statue of Nebuchadnezzar from his dream. The Babylonian Empire, being the head of gold, was replaced by the, the breast and arms of silver, which is the Medes and the Persians. And in the last verse of chapter 5, we're told that Darius received the kingdom at about the age of 62 years old. It was now up to Darius to form his own uh, government over the 120 provinces of Babylon. And the system he devised was pretty simple. He put a satrap or a royal administrator over each one of the provinces, 120 in all. Then he appointed three commissioners uh, to oversee these satraps. And then Darius was overseeing these, these commissioners. One of these commissioners was Daniel. Daniel, by this time, was in his 90s. And you have to ask yourself, why, what was the secret of Daniel's life? What was there that set him apart? Why is he remembered in that Hall of Faith chapter there in Hebrews chapter 11? Why is he remembered as such a great hero of faith? Well, I think verse 3 really tells us why. It says that he had an excellent spirit that was in him. What is an excellent spirit? It means that Daniel's uh, life was spirit-dominated. In other words, Daniel's spiritual life was not merely an afterthought or something he did when he found time or if he wasn't too busy. Uh, rather, he was a man who was, his very life revolved around his commitment to God. It affected, it permeated everything he did within his life. That word permeate means to enter something and spread throughout it so that every part or aspect of it is affected. See, as a true believer, it is one whose faith permeates his entire, her entire life. One who has an excellent spirit is one who is truly born again, spirit-filled. Everyone who is going to live a life that honors and glorifies God. And to be filled with the spirit means that the Holy Spirit is a part of all that you are involved in. He permeates your life. He's a part of your prayer life. He's a part of your, your worship life, your vacation, your business, your school life, your sports. He's a part of everything in your life. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit, a Spirit-filled believer. So Daniel had an excellent spirit. 
When someone has an excellent spirit, he is bold enough to stand upon godly principles. And he has direction. And he has discernment. If someone who prays when he or, it's someone who prays when he or she doesn't have the answers and gives thanks to God when God answers. An excellent spirit is one, uh, is a man or woman of the word. The word of God is your very sustenance. Someone with an excellent spirit watches out for his, his or her friends and is there for them. It's someone who's cur- uh, courteous. It's someone who is a, a, not a respecter of persons, doesn't give in to greedy, greedy or worldly uh, temptations. That's what an excellent spirit looks like in a person. And this is how Daniel advanced himself so highly in this Babylonian and, and Medo-Persian empire. And Daniel didn't use his beliefs to get promoted, but his beliefs and how he lived, being a faithful worker, that's how he was promoted. Look at the end of verse 4. It says, He was faithful, uh, nor was there any error or fault found in him. What a great compliment. Daniel was faithful. He was a hard worker. God blessed him for it. You know, there are a lot of people out there, and, and there's nothing wrong with this. They, they have a business, and they want to let everyone know, their customers, that they are a Christian company, a, a Christian business, and they'll put you know, maybe a fish on the door, on their door. You know, they'll put it on their webpage or on their business card on the side of the vehicle, you know, the Christian fish or something or a cross. And, and I don't have a problem with that. You know, maybe they'll put it on their, their letterhead and their stationery. I, I saw a list of names of businesses that wanted to be known for their Christian faith. The Born Again Secondhand Shop. The Green Pastures Health Foods. How about Simon Peter's Fish and Tackle? Bread of Life Bakery, Hebrews Coffee, we used to have one of those here in town, and Narrow Path Bike Shop. I like that one. Those are all good. And it's okay to have names like that as long as you deliver the goods. That is, you should be the best coffee company there is, the best bakery there is, the best bike shop, whatever it is. You should be the best bank teller, the best teacher, the best landscaper. If you have a Christian name on it, you should excel at it. And people should refer others to you, not just because you're a Christian, but because your work is so good. That's how it was for Daniel, and that's how it should be for us. And we should aim at success, and we should aim at at quality. But then, again, when we are successful as Christians, that can bring its own set of problems. And one of them is the envy of others who maybe didn't get the position that we may have gotten. There's a reason they they call envy the green-eyed monster. The Bible clearly tells us that envy is behind most other sins. James 3.16, wherever there's envy, you'll find every kind of evil. And nothing destroys friendships quicker than envy. It can destroy families through sibling rivalry. It can destroy businesses. It can destroy churches. It can even cause nations to go at war with each other. All of that simply out of envy. This is one destructive sin. And that's what we see in verse 4 here. These 120 satraps are better known as administrators were envious of Daniel and were soon on a quest in verse 4 to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. Now, for those of you that are raising kids, have raised kids, and you have veggie tales, you know there is a song from Daniel in the lion's den, and, 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 uh, and I just love the lyrics of it, so bear with me because I've I got to repeat them to you. These are the satraps singing the song. Oh no, what are we going to do? The king likes Daniel more than me and you. Oh no, what are we going to do? We've got to get him out of here. And then they sing the verse. 
We could throw them in the dungeon. We could let them rot in jail. We could drag them to the ocean, have them eaten by a well. We could throw them in the Tigris, let them float a while. Then we'll all sit back and watch them eat a hungry crocodile, my favorite verse. We could give him jelly donuts, take them all away. Or we could fill his ears with cheese balls and his nostrils with sorbet. We could use him as a footstool or a table to play Scrabble on, then tie him up and beat him up and throw him out of Babylon. Well, they don't do any of that. But they do set a trap for him, and that brings us to our second point, an excellent trap, or so they thought. Look at verses 5 through 9. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and the satraps, the counselors and advisors, have consulted together. That's a lie, because Daniel wasn't a part of this. To establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. So they thought they had an excellent trap. They knew Daniel was a man of prayer. They knew Daniel was living a godly life. And they thought for sure they had him now. Of course, they didn't factor God into the equation, the God who created the heavens and the earth, all creatures great and small. They just thought that in man's way of thinking, we've got him now. So they come to the king with his plan. And the king, well, why wouldn't he love this idea? After all, they were talking about him. And I can hear Darius's response. Now, I would never come up with such a law myself, but since you guys thought of it, it sounds really good to me. From now on, no one can petition any God or man for 30 days except me. I, I like that. So he says that he signs it in the law, not realizing that he was signing away the life of his friends. No doubt these governors and satraps thought, aha, we've got that Daniel now. Now listen, how did they do this? How did this happen? They did this in a legislative manner. And the reason I say that is because this is what is happening in our world today. 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, I wouldn't have many examples at all of this in the United States. Other countries, yes, but not in the U.S. But today, there are many things happening in our country that are against the heart of God that is being legislated into practice. I mean, the whole abortion issue in America stems from legislation that was passed through the Supreme Court back in January of 1973. Now, this is something to pray about. This coming December, there is a Louisiana case coming before the Supreme Court that would ban abortions after 15 weeks. It's a step in the right direction, and we need to be praying. Not only has abortion been legislated, but now according to a post by Franklin Graham, and maybe you saw this or not, the Biden administration is trying to tell College of the Ozarks down in Branson, a 115-year-old private Christian university, that they have to allow men in women's dorms, showers, and locker rooms. Uh, Franklin uh, Graham writes, College of the Ozarks refused, and they're accused of gender identity discrimination. The law the government is trying to push on them rejects biology, reality, privacy, safety, and religious free exercise. This radical gender ideology and this kind of government control we see is dangerous. And he goes on to write, let's stand with them, especially as their case is heard in federal court this week. Pray the court will quickly agree that the government cannot strip this private faith-based institution 
of its constitutionally protected freedoms. I say amen. Let's pray for that. There's a push right now for those in the military to be vaccinated against the COVID-19 vaccine uh, virus. Uh, the president has mandated all military personnel get vaccinated or be removed from service. And the problem is there are those who are put in for a religious exemption because they found out that these vaccines were derived from the abortion of, of babies, from, from fetal tissue. And they've taken a stand and they said, I cannot in good faith take this vaccine, and now they're at risk, uh, risk of being kicked out of the military. Some who have served many, many years within the military. Liberty Council is fighting on behalf of the military because they have said they will not grant any religious exemptions. The deadline is November 28th. Some 30, I think, Navy SEALs that have filed with this. And, and let me say this. Whether to get vaccinated or not is a deeply intimate and personal decision. But if the government can mandate medical procedures that encompasses your whole life on the theory that they know what's best for you, then the government overreach will never stop. One pastor put it this way at this year's pastor's conference, and I like it. He says, if the government can mandate a mask, they can mandate a mark. I agree. Another example of what happened this last March in Canada, maybe you, you've not heard of this. i got many. I'll just, a few more. A Canadian dad was arrested and thrown in jail for calling his biological female child his daughter. That's right. Because this concerned father referred to his daughter as female and used the gender pronoun she and her, he violated a court order and now he sits behind bars. You go, obviously there's something wrong. What's the rest of the story here? I mean, come on. Did he abduct her? Is she really not her daughter? What else happened? Actually, the reality is worse than you can imagine. See, several years ago, this dad learned that his daughter's school had been pushing her in the direction of male identity, claiming she'd suffered from the official psychological term gender dysphoria. They even changed her name in the school yearbook without informing the parents, encouraging her to get hormones and to, and to, to work towards sex change surgery. The girl's mother sided with the daughter, but the dad opposed the decision. They went to court, and the court sided with the mom and the daughter, forbidding her father from trying to impede her gender transition, but that was only the beginning of the story. The court then forbade him from referring to his own daughter as she, or using her real and legal female name, or speaking of her as his daughter. If he dared to do so, even in the privacy of their own home, he would be put in jail. To this dad's credit, he... You know, not a general love for his daughter, he continued to speak out publicly, and now he's been in prison. It started in Canada when they passed this Bill C-16, the so-called anti-discrimination gender identity legislation. Professor Jordan Peterson raised his voice in protest, warning that the enforced, uh, that the enforced speech of this bill would lead to situations just like this. His concerns were dismissed as extreme, and yet now they are here. There's this trend, and I've shared this before, that as terminology changes, so do the laws. It used to be called abortion, now it's called a choice. It used to be called fornication, now it's called an affair. It used to be called sodomy, and it was illegal, now it's called gay rights. It used to be a man and a woman, as God created them, now it's gender identity. Regardless of what gender you were born with, you can be whatever gender you want. And the bottom line is this comes back down to sin. People love darkness, Jesus said in John 3, 19, because their deeds are evil. And as the country continues to change the terms around when it comes to preaching the truth of God's word, I'm convinced as a pastor that in my life, if the Lord should tarry, that I will encounter 
great opposition because I call sin, sin, and not a lifestyle or a choice. And as long as God has, has called me to rightly divide the word of God, that is what I have to call it. And I don't say that in pride or arrogance. I just say that because that's what God's word says. I'm just repeating his words. I think of this last year and the government mandating churches not to meet, not to worship, not to sing songs to the Lord, and yet pastors standing up and saying that violates God's word and we cannot obey. And as a result, millions of dollars in fines were thrown against these churches. Arrests were made. I was recently made aware of this video from this last pastor's conference of a Canadian pastor being arrested for holding a church service and he's being put in a police car as his children are crying, Daddy, don't go. We got a, a video of it. So these are the laws that everyone in Canada basically has agreed to abide by. Right? Yeah, so Jason can't even have his dinner up in the Sky Palace. And, you and know no what? one's coming to his house to take him to jail. You, you know what? It's, like I said, it has nothing to do with, with that. I'm dealing with this, right? This is, this is incredible. It's incredible. You know? They can they can they can have their gathering in the Sky Palace, and yet a pastor who gathers for church outside is being arrested. Yeah, you know, because because the rules certainly don't apply to everyone equally, and they're not enforced to everyone equally. Like why is it only why is the pastors that keep getting arrested for this? And and if, and if you have parents who, who go to church or you understand that, that our Lord Jesus Christ actually commands us to gather and to meet. And he also and, told us wherever two or three are gathered, there he is in the midst of us. So we don't need a huge gathering. Well, if you want to talk about that but passage we, we, in Matthew no, we're not talking about that. We're, right now, we're just doing our job, okay? So, and if you hadn't basically broken the order or the rules that are set out right now, I wouldn't be here. Right? Do I want to be here? No. Right? Yes. And when, and when laws are unjust... Then it's incumbent upon those who are righteous we, we to have, stand we, up and say no. We have one of the best systems in the world that we can we can vote. You're putting pastors we can in jail. Laws? Like that's not the best who's, in the world. Who's, Canada who's, right now is sorry, a laughing stock of the Putting pastor in jail. You Probably are right now. I'm, being, I'm doing my job are, by sir. taking him, but then again, who's sworn an oath to uphold the Constitution? I arrest people for theft. I arrest people whenever they break the law. Yes, right? and we, and this is a, this is a rule and the law in the land right now. So I have to arrest your husband. When I arrest someone for theft, I don't want to arrest that person and deal with them. But if they break a law that I'm basically sworn to uphold, I have to arrest him. Have so what? So the action? No, but you, you, that's, that's, you the same, that's the same. That's the same. Yes, I've broken rules. You have too. Of course I and have. So why are you not under threat of arrest right now? Okay. No other jurisdiction is imprisoning pastors for breaking health orders. Again, I, I'm not going to speak to that, okay? In Canada. Okay. It's only Alberta. I would say continue the course that you're continuing on. Push further ahead. Push harder if you need to. And that, that's how all much I can harder can we push here? I don't. I, I don't know how far Will you've you gotten. Will you arrest me and take me away stuff. from them too? I have like, no reason to arrest you, right? So I'm going to leave it at that, okay? But I say just stay your course. If you feel that strongly about it, just stay the course, okay? Contact your lawyers after we leave today. Tell them what happened. 
I could go on and on, example after example. We're seeing more and more in the times in which we're living and, and, and with mandates and legislative laws are being passed. And we as believers, we have the responsibility to check out what is being mandated and to see if it agrees with God's word or if it's in direct contrast to the word of God and then make that stand. But know this, that, that, but know that what will eventually happen if our country keeps going the direction is eventually what will happen to Daniel will happen to us at some point. They may soon say, you cannot pray anymore. But like Daniel, uh, you know, we should continue to pray morning, noon, and night. Here's the bottom line. We cannot back down from what God's word says. His word says, pray without ceasing. We keep praying. His word says, don't forsake the gathering of ourselves together. We keep gathering together. His word says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. We keep preaching the gospel. His word says, sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of his wonderful acts. We will continue to worship the Lord. We cannot compromise on the word of God. Now let's make this a little more personal. What would you do if there was a law passed today that just said, due to the virus, you could no longer pray in public for 30 days? Would you obey that law? I mean, think about where do we pray in public? Usually it's at a restaurant. We go to a restaurant and the meal comes and, and you want to pray this prayer of thanksgiving and thanks. So, so what if this law was enacted and you say, well, you know, God just knows what we're praying on the inside. Yeah, we don't need to close our eyes or anything and just look at each other and, and know that we just don't want to get arrested. How easily Daniel could have done that. They said, well, you know, there's no value in praying if I'm dead, so I don't want to die. So, but that's not what Daniel did. Look at verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Now understand, Daniel didn't purposely go out and disobey the law. He didn't say, oh yeah, you tell me not to pray, then I'm going to pray three times a day. I'll just show you. That wasn't a rebellious heart that Daniel had. No, we read, as was his custom, he prayed. This is what he did since he was young. Daniel didn't change a thing in his spiritual life when he's attacked for his faith, and neither should we. Remember, Daniel, he's no longer a young boy. He's some 90 years old, and even with a lot going on in his life, he made prayer a factor in his life. Three times a day since he was young, as was his custom. And I don't believe Daniel had a death wish. I don't think he was either praying, oh Lord, not the lions, anything but the lions. No, in fact, we're told what he prayed. We read, he knelt down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. What did Daniel have to be thankful about? He'd been harassed, harassed, he'd been insulted, he'd been lied about, persecuted, yet he knelt down and gave thanks to God. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 11 and 12, blessed are you. When they revile and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Folks, when we are put down for our faith, persecuted, made fun of, falsely accused, we have so much to be thankful for. Great is our reward in heaven. That's why Paul the Apostle would write in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know, this coming Thursday, uh, we have our, our day set apart by President Lincoln, a day to give thanks to our great God and for the great things he has done. 
In fact, in his Lincoln's own words, he says this, it's a day to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November as a day of thanksgiving and prayer to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. And I recommend to them that while offering up the descriptions justly due to him, that for such singular deliverances and blessings, they do also with humble penitence for our national perverseness and disobedience. While that prayer is even more appropriate for today than ever before. Not only a prayer of thankfulness, but prayers of repentance for our national perverseness and disobedience. I would encourage each and every one of us this coming Thursday, when we have spent Thanksgiving with our families, to, to, to pray just that. Or to come out Wednesday evening as we do our Wednesday evening uh, night of prayer here at the church in a time of prayer and thankfulness. My point is that Daniel's uh, prayer life was a priority. I mean, again, he could have said, well, it's only 30 days. I'm all prayed up. What's it going to hurt? After all, what good am I to anyone dead? No, he stood his ground. He remained unwavering in his prayer life. And we, too, we're, we're facing similar challenges living in this fallen world that might always not be so dramatic, but challenges just the same. I mean, take that prayer again in a restaurant. That's always an interesting moment, isn't it? You know, you're there in the restaurant and maybe you're with non-believers and your food comes and you go, well, should I pray or shouldn't pray? And you want to pray. And, and I, let me just tell you, I like to pray. I, I like to do it even with non-believers because I want to give thanks, you know, for what God has done whether they want to or not. And it's always nice to say something, Lord, we thank you for your love towards us, your provision for this food. Now, if I'm in a big group with a lot of unsaved people and, and they get their food and they just start digging in, I'm just going to close my eyes and say a prayer to myself. And, and, but given the opportunity, I'll take it. Something brief, something to the point, just the opportunity to give thanks to God for what he's done. That doesn't mean I'm going to stand up on the table and say, Lord, thank you for this food and for all these unbelievers that are standing around here in this restaurant. May they all come to know you. And while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, who needs to come to Christ? Raise your hand. Not going to do that, but, and you know, certainly we shouldn't pray too long. That's not the time for long prayers. When the food comes, it's hot and it's sitting right in front of you. And thank the Lord and let's eat the food. Now, that's not usually a big challenge for most of us guys. You know, God is good. God is great. Let us thank him for our food. Amen. Prayer may not be that big of a challenge to our faith, but there may be other situations where your faith is really being challenged. And let me say this. How you respond, people are going to notice. They're going to take notice. It's at those times when we have the opportunity that we should be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and in, in fear, as First Peter 3.15 says. See, Daniel was not going to back down. And if we find ourselves in that same predicament, we must stand strong and not compromise, not back down. We can't hold back from what we know is true. Rather, we need to share the truth of God's word when he gives us those opportunities and keep doing what we're always doing, praying and sharing our faith and living the Christian life as is our custom and not forsaking the gathering of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching, Hebrews 10.25. Daniel's praying three times a day as was his custom. Nothing has changed in his life. He's doing what he always did and sure enough, as they plan, they come knocking on his door. Look at verse 11 through 15. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? 
The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, That Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So Daniel's brought before the king and the charges are filed against him. Now try as he might, King Darius was powerless to rescue Daniel from the law that he himself had signed. He was forced to obey that law and Darius was greatly displeased with himself because he knew that he blew it. Look at verse 16. So the king gave the command and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke saying to Daniel, your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Now, before you look at verse 17, I want you to know, to know, hold on a minute, look what's happening here. Daniel at this point, he's being cast into the lion's den, but before he does, the king looks at him and says, hey Daniel, come here, I know your God whom you continually serve, he's going to deliver you. Uh, and you think, how is that this generally heathen king has this word of faith for Daniel before Daniel even goes into the lion's den? Well, here's what I think. I think Daniel's relationship with God has been so pure and, and so holy and that the king, who is not a believer, has witnessed God show up again and again in Daniel's life. And because of that, this king with no spiritual background is encouraging Daniel in his faith. Now, what is so amazing about this is, is this. Could you imagine someone you know that doesn't know the Lord, they're not a believer, and they find out that you have to go in for surgery, maybe a major surgery, and they say to you, you know what, I'm not a Christian, but what I know of you, I know your God will take care of you. That, that's amazing. I mean, if you hear that from someone that, that has nothing to do with God, you would say, wait a second, what's going on? But you see, in the same way Daniel had so lived a godly life, that this heathen king cannot deny that Daniel has a real relationship with God. I think that's something that's incredibly commendable. Something I hope for in my life. I know you hope for that as well. That even if that person's life who doesn't believe, they still cannot deny what is genuine, what is real. What happens next? Well, Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. Now verse 17, Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. See, there is no way out from this life-threatening situation apart from God, and that brings us to our last point, an excellent deliverance. You see, this is almost humorous to me. This king places his seal upon the stone, like that's going to stop God from working. Watch out, the king's seal is on that stone. I mean, do you really think that concerns the Lord? I mean, think about it. Didn't they put a, a seal on the stone after they crucified our Lord? That didn't work out so well for them either, did it? There's also a type of stone there in Acts chapter 12 when Peter was arrested for preaching the gospel. And the Lord opened up the prison doors and Peter was set free. Well, here the Lord was about to release Daniel. And we need to remember that whatever plots have been hatched against us, no matter how foolproof it seems, it's going to fail because I can say for certain that we are going to live as long as God wants us to live. The Christian life is indestructible until the Lord is done with him or her. Nothing can stop them at all. 
Romans 8, 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Now, when our time is up, our time is up. But the good news here is you don't have to walk around in fear. Because if you die, you immediately go into the presence of the Lord with this fullness of joy. And if you live, you live another day to serve the Lord. So it's a win-win situation. That doesn't mean that we're foolish. It doesn't mean that we test God, but that we trust God and we know that we are safe in his hands. And so King Darius, he hoped for the best, but thought the worst. He thought for sure Daniel would lose his life in the lion's den. Verse 18 says, Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. <laughs> Think about the contrast here. Amazing contrast. The king's in his palace. And he's pacing back and forth. He can't, can't go to sleep. You know, uh, he, you know, he's going, what have I done? Daniel on the other end, he's probably sawing logs, you know. He got thrown in there, saw they weren't going to attack him, kind of messed around with him a little, maybe puffed up the mane of one of the big lines there, laying down there and just, oh, I think I'm going to lay down here. Usually that's a big pillow. Not because they were godly lions. <laughs> These are normal, you know, ferocious lions, as we'll see in a moment. But the Lord sent his angels and subdue the lions, and Daniel had a good night's sleep. So one is at peace, and the other is in turmoil. Listen, real peace is being able to lay your head down on your pillow at night, knowing you have peace with God. No longer plagued with guilt, no longer plagued with shame, just to be able to say, Lord, I trust you. And Daniel was able to do just that. So what happened to this 90-year-old Daniel after getting a good night's sleep there in this hungry lion, den of lions, verse 19 to uh, 23, then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. <laughs> Not a positive voice, a lamenting voice. The king spoke saying to Daniel, Daniel, a servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? I'm sure he was not expecting any sort of response whatsoever. Verse 21, Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever! My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. What a great story. I love the story of Daniel in the lion's den. I love it that Daniel says to Darius, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me. The Lord sent his angels to deliver him. Understand, you have angels involved in your life as well as followers of Jesus Christ. Psalm 91, 11 and 12 says, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. We're told in Hebrews 1.14, Therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. You have angelic protection that God sends in your life. We read of angels in scriptures who speak to people, who deliver people, who protect people. I'm sure there's angels working in our lives right now, but the thing is that they work undercover, undetected many times, as Hebrews 13.2 tells us. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so some have unwittingly entertained angels. But notice, when Daniel is, is you know, uh, confronted here and, and, he, and Darius speaks out to him, Daniel doesn't cry, yeah, king, get me out of here. These lions are beginning to lick their lips. You know, they're looking really, really hungry. 
No, instead of Daniel screaming out in fear, he's still speaking out in faith what God has done. Verse 22 again, My God sent his angel, shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Daniel does this whole little Bible study for the king. I love it. Why is this important? Well, because again, sometimes we're in the midst of our own lion's den. We need to realize that people are watching. People are, are listening to how we are going to respond. Let me say this. Don't be weird. Okay, by that I mean this, okay? If you have to stand up for your faith to a non-believer, maybe share at a school board meeting or maybe share at a city council meeting and you want to share your faith at the same time, Remember, you're talking to non-believers. They don't really understand Christianese all that often. Keep it simple. Use words they understand. You know, some of these unbelievers are just looking to twist your words and make you look dumb, so don't give them ammunition. Be kind with your words. Choose your words wisely as led by the Holy Spirit because the bottom line is we may have to stand up against policies and mandates that are wrong and unjust, but our goal is not coming against policies and mandates. Our goal is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message of hope that we have by putting your faith and trust in him, you can have eternal life. Daniel simply says in verse 22, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so they have not hurt me. He didn't say anything negative about King Darius. He didn't say anything negative about these satraps who, who planned this whole thing out. He didn't say anything about getting revenge on the guys that put him there. He simply says, my God has delivered me. Now look what happens next. Here's the part of Daniel that, in the lion's end, that you don't often hear about, talked about to the kids in Sunday school because it's kind of gruesome. Look at verse 24. And the king gave the command, and they brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. That's just gruesome. I mean, imagine, don't imagine, it's too gruesome, but man, these are powerful, hungry lions. These governmental leaders were all thrown into the lion's den along with their families. And we see these lions were so hungry that these politicians were eaten alive before they even hit the ground. You know, there are some politicians today that I hope would come to the Lord. Pray for them. Now understand that the Lord did not demand that the wives and the children of Daniel's accusers be tossed into the lion's den. This wasn't of the Lord. Rather, this was according to the Medes and the Persians. Nonetheless, whenever we sin, the sad truth of the matter is that sin always affects those who we are closest to. These men sinned and their wives and kids paid the price along with them. And it's tragic that innocent children had to suffer. However, such are the awful penalties of sin. Now I believe that, that children under the age of accountability want immediately to be with the Lord because God always vindicates his own. Proverbs 11.8, the righteous is delivered from trouble and it comes to the wicked instead. And we don't have time to go into it, but they, you can do a whole study, it can be done on those that attempt to bring down God's anointed. Suffice it to say, they reap what they have sown. Finally, verses 25 to 28, then King Darius wrote, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall never be destroyed. And his dominion shall endure to the end. 
He delivers and rescues. And he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So there's Daniel, uh, or rather, let me say that again. And he works signs and wonders in heavens and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. I wonder if today you find yourself in a lion's den, so to speak. Maybe this coming Thanksgiving you'll be entering a lion's den with all your certain family members. <laughs> Maybe it's a family or a workplace situation where they're hostile towards the gospel, towards your faith in Christ. Maybe, you know, you've been misunderstood. Maybe you've been misrepresented. Maybe people have told lies about you and, and attacked your character and your integrity. Maybe there are people like these saved types that are filled with envy in their life and they've tried to undermine you. Rest assured, as King Darius said, that you serve a living God, a steadfast, who steadfast forever, and his kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. He delivers and he rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Certainly we want to see those we love come to faith in Jesus Christ. But we also know what Galatians 6, verse 7 says. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Bible also says in Romans 12, 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And remember, verse 24, The lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. You may have some enemies out there plotting your destruction. Listen, commit them to the hands of God. And you just keep doing what you're doing. You keep praying. You keep preaching. You keep living your life for Jesus Christ. And soon, very soon, I believe, we will see our Lord deliver us from this earth. And if he should tarry, he will give us whatever we need to stand strong in the times in which we're living. Finally, I want to close with this. Polycarp was the last disciple of the Apostle John. He was a leader of the church in Smyrna. He had heard that there was those seeking to kill him for his faith, and he escaped only to be discovered by a child and then turned over to the authorities. Well, after eating a meal, he asked the guards that came to apprehend him for an hour in prayer, which they allowed. He prayed with such fervency that his guards actually repented that they had been used in arresting him. He was, however, carried before the proconsul and then urged to swear his allegiance to Caesar and against Christ, and he would be set free. This is what Polycarp answered. He said, Eighty-six years have I served him, and he has never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who has saved me? He was then tied to a stake and set on fire, but the flames didn't touch him. The executioner, upon seeing this, was ordered to pierce him with the sword. When he did so, there was so much blood that it put out the fire, and Polycarp was then martyred for his faith. All that to say is we don't know what tomorrow holds. But we know who holds our tomorrow, so we do not have to fear. And there may come a time when we're delivered from the lion's den, or there may come a time when the Lord says, Come on home now, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Either way, God calls us to stand strong until that day comes, no matter what lions we may face. To, to continue, as is our custom, to read our Bibles, to pray, to share our faith, and to remain in fellowship one with another, until the Lord comes back. As Pastor Chuck uh, used to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. I do pray, Lord, if there's anyone here in this room that has not surrendered their heart and life to you, help them to see and to know from the words that we've studied this morning 
that you are a great God and that you love them and that you sent your son Jesus Christ to die upon the cross and rise again from the dead to, to, in order to pay the penalty of our sin so that we could be forgiven, so we can have the assurance of a spirit-filled life now and life with you in eternity. So Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that they would make that commitment to follow you this morning. Lord, for us that, that have this relationship with you, for us that are born again, spirit-filled, Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for opening up our eyes to know who you are. Help us to stand firm upon your word, to not waver to the left or to the right, not compromise our walk, especially as it comes to this, this coming Thanksgiving, this coming Thursday, Lord. Help us to be that example of what it means to know you, Lord, that even though there may be those around us that disagree with us, they know that, that we know you and we have the truth. Lord, bless us as we go this week. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand with you one last song.